If you're going to move there, if you're going to live there, you want to be aware of this. Another major source of protein is bush rat. Now, I don't even know what bush rat is, and I, I'm not going there. I don't want to find out, but you'll probably get it on the menu. Uh, their money is the West African franc, or CFA, and they share this currency with Guinea-Bissau, Ivory Coast, Mali, Niger, Senegal, and Togo. And the most amazing fact I found about Benin was Travelocity told me I could get there for 194 bucks. I'm kind of not really believing that, number one, or taking whatever route they would sell me for 194 bucks. Okay, so why have I just wasted five minutes of your time telling you mindless trivia about Benin? Because... If you're going to live in Benin, you need to know what it's like. You need to know how it works. There's a lot more stuff than this you would want to know, right? How do you get there? Probably through one place to another place to another place to another place to maybe Nigeria to, I think they may have one major airport. Um, if you're going to live there, if you're going to live in Benin, you have to know how to live there, yeah. right? We take it for granted. We know how to live in Alaska, primarily. We do. <laughs> we take that for granted because we live here. But if you're going to live in Benin, you got to get this stuff figured out. You don't just go there and get off the plane. Among other things, you need to know the language is French. That's the primary language. Well, I've been teaching through the Sermon on the Mount about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And if you're going to live in the kingdom, which, by the way, you don't really have a choice if you're a believer. So either you live intelligently in the kingdom or you don't. And that is your choice. But as believers, we're in the kingdom. If you're in Christ, you're in his kingdom. That's uh, not up for discussion. So, you know, where do I live and what country is this? Where, that's a question for you. Where do you live? In what country? In what sovereign rule? In what um, realm of authority do you identify that you live? First and foremost, think of that. I welcome you to answer that question. Am I a citizen or subject of what dominion? What is the governing dominion, the power, the authority that you live under, that you are cognizantly aware of day by day. I've said before, we can, as Christians in America, we can be Americans who happen to be Christians, or we can be Christians who happen to be Americans. You can't do both. You know, Jesus talked about money, and he said, you can't serve two masters. I've realized that principle applies everywhere. I can't be married to two people. I can't uh, equally be involved in two fellowships. I can't have two jobs that I'm equally committed to. You know what I'm saying? So... You can't, in America, we have this idea of plurality and more choices are better and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll go to, you know, Golden Corral of, of life and sample all the things I want. But it doesn't work that way. 
we cannot serve two masters. You cannot live equally in the kingdom of God with Christ as the ruling, reigning king now and as an American. One must take priority. Now, I don't know if you've heard that before, if you hear that very often, but you're going to hear it from me. And in case you think I'm like anti-American, I think Christians should be the best Americans. I think we should set the standard on what it is to be a good citizen. I draw that, among other places, from the book of Daniel, where the prophet Jeremiah told Daniel, or he told the uh, Israelites in Babylon, settle down, move into the city, have children, you know, do your thing, be involved. And Daniel and some of his buddies rose to high positions of leadership. And Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, told them that, that the city would be blessed. So don't think I'm anti-American. I'm pro-Christ. I'm pro-kingdom of God. And then that should spill over. And we should be the best workers and the best neighbors and, generally speaking, the best citizens until push comes to shove with the word of God. And I think if we're going to be realistic compared to global history, we all doing pretty good here still. Now, maybe there's a trend and it's going in a bad direction, a, a, a direction that runs contrary to scripture. Sure. So what? We serve the king. We are in the kingdom. We have an agenda that's far more important than anything else. Okay, so who's in charge here? I'll let you answer that one. How do I know my rights and responsibilities? Well, when my son-in-law wanted to become a uh, naturalized American citizen, he had to do a bunch of homework, frankly, and he had to memorize a whole bunch of stuff. And then he had to go to the authorities and effectively pass a test. To live in the kingdom of God, how do I know my rights and responsibilities? How do you know them? How do you know them? I'd call on Chris, but he just ditched. The Bible. Scripture. Yeah. So we got to learn it. It's not just an occasional book, right? We need, need to know it. Especially need to know the New Testament. Though it's all the Word of God and Christ is cover to cover. But the most uh, pointedly relevant parts of the Scripture for us is mostly going to be found in the New Testament. So especially we need to know the New Testament. And if you want to be functioning in the kingdom, you need to know the kingdom. How does the kingdom work? How do people get in the kingdom? Who's not in the kingdom? At the end of the age, who's going to be surprised that they weren't in the kingdom? We need to know all these things. We need to know just like how the money works in Benin and you know, what the weather's like and all these different things. This is vastly more important, right? way more important. This is way more important than government aid programs that we may qualify because of COVID or uh, tax shelters that we can, you know, use to our advantage or what's the latest iPhone and how much better it is than the, the next thing. This is hugely, infinitely more important. Why is that? Look around. Look around. We're all dying. 
right? Some of us are ahead of others. But this does not last, right? This is like a flower that bloomed in the spring. And I just looked at, out at my wife's dahlias, I think they were, this morning. And I'm like, what happened? A week ago, they were, the colors were beautiful. The plant was green. And now it looked like they got hit by a laser beam or something. That is our life. It's passing the same way. That's what the scripture tells us, right? Amen? Amen. See, he knows. This is our life, and it's passing. It's going through our fingers like sand. And only what is going to last is what is in the kingdom, is what is done for the Lord. All the... I could collect shoes, NBA shoes. I know an NBA player's got like a thousand pairs of shoes or something. That's not only dumb, but that would be a space problem in my house. But I could collect NBA shoes. I could even run around try to get them all signed and everything. But someday I'm going to die. And those shoes are just going to be shoes. Now maybe somebody can sell some of them and make some money, but I ain't taking that with me. You know what I'm saying? It's the kingdom. What, that is all what we are about, is the kingdom. And it's now, it's not later. It's not when Jesus comes back. If you want to live a powerfully effective, impactful life that impacts eternity, it's the kingdom. Be focused on the kingdom. So, um, I was thinking about what Spencer had taught recently. We talked about transformation. So we'll have transformation up here. And I, I gave these definitions. Let me just pause and say, you probably know by now, I don't preach like Spencer. Did you kind of pick up on that? <laughs> Spencer knows he's the gold standard for me for preaching and Bible teaching. He is my gold standard. He is like a laser focus, a microscope. He can get into the word and just bring it. Amen. Yeah, and he's a huge blessing. I don't know why, but that's kind of not my strength. I'm kind of more like the jigsaw puzzle, and I'm always trying to figure out, okay, where do these pieces fit? And that's just who I am. I mean, I told Joel earlier about this, and I said, we don't need two Spencers. I mean, I'd, the last thing I need to do is try to be just like him. He's awesome the way he is. He don't need me you know, chasing him around trying to be little Spencer. I need to be the man God wants me to be. You need to be the man, woman, or child God wants you to be. And he has it. He knows what that is. He knows your sphere of influence. He knows exactly what he wants to accomplish through you. Okay, transformation. A thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. Now, most of these definitions I'm going to give you are just kind of like everyday definitions. So the word in English today typically would mean a thorough, to be transformed or experience transformation. A thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. And I thought in, in the gospel, I even put or essence, because it's not just my form. When I'm resurrected, my form will be changed. It's not just appearance. We can change our appearance. But it's essence. When a man or woman is born again, we are changed inside. 
We may look the same outside, but we are totally changed. So transformation, and the gospel is all about transformation. That's what Spencer was teaching and preaching, transformation, right, as he worked through Philippians. And so when we're transformed, uh, things happen like happened to Paul, and it's like, man, all this resume stuff I had, that's all trash. In fact, it's like stinking, rotting meat that was left in an unplugged freezer the whole summer. It's foul. All this stuff that I thought I had that makes me somebody is actually ugh. And the things of God is what matters. It's the things of God. It's not these things. That's transformation. You transform. You're changed. Okay, transformation. Knowing Christ changes the way I view life. That's what he told us, right? Does this sound familiar? Two, three weeks ago? Yeah. Knowing Christ... And he would say, and I would say, knowing Christ in the born-again, spiritually deep knowing Christ changes the way I view life. It changes my value system. It should change my behavior, my actions, but it starts ahead of that. So I left a blank there, example. That's for you. So take 60 seconds and think, okay, so knowing Christ... How has that changed the way you view life? Try to pick one specific way or area or thing. And if you're not there yet with Christ, that's okay. We're good with that. We'd like to change it as soon as possible. But we're all at different places. So then you could think, okay, well, if I was to become a Christian, if I was to put my faith in him, how would that change? What would my life change? One area, one thing. Sorry about the frog sound. Okay. And uh, if you didn't get that, work on it later. It's important because, as our brother shared earlier, the whole essence of knowing Christ is to be born again. That is a complete transformation. And if we are born again, we should be aware of ways that we are being changed. Okay, now I got these other uh, words because they're hugely important. And if you already got a grip on defining faith, and especially the next two, righteousness, righteous or righteousness, and justification, um, go. you can just go ahead and fill those in. They're very important because they... It's the uh, lingua franca, I think they say, in Benin. It's the language. It's what people speak. When we come to the scriptures, if somebody else says, what's it mean to be righteous? If we're a Christian, oh, we need to have that answer. Because it's all tied to the glory of the gospel. And that's what we're about. So we can say, well, I can tell you, righteous, you know, it means, you know, such and such. And if you want some of that, I can tell you how to get it, right? And in a week and a half, we're going to have a seminar all about that, trying to tell people, it's like, you know, I'm not a theologian, or I'm not a pastor, or I'm not a whatever, but I can tell you something. I can tell you some good news. Okay, so faith. I think we covered this last week. Belief, trust, or confidence in someone or something. 
And I think we mentioned last week that that's why America, especially, is in all this turmoil and upheaval, because we have actively or maybe even passively put faith in things like the government or in, in countries that experience economic crashes, the bank or their wealth. We put faith in all these things. We put belief, trust, confidence. This whole COVID controversy has been, all been about who can you believe, right? Who can you trust? And is there anybody we can put confidence in who knows what they're talking about with this whole COVID thing, right? I mean, if you're going to boil it down, that's what it comes down to. It's like, who can you believe? Who can you trust? And we mentioned how it's gotten so messed up, we just shop around for whichever news outlet we want because it's kind of hard to, to validate who's really telling you the truth. And you may think CNN, man, they give you the the, the clear shot. I probably don't think a lot of you are going to think that, but you may think that, or NPR or something like that. Or you might think, man, One American News, that's, you go to One American News because they give you the real deal. Now, I'm not trying to say which is which, but I am saying there's a danger in shopping for what your ear wants to hear. That's the thing that's most alarming about that. And I'm not letting any news outlet off the hook because they're all biased and you're going to get spin. But there is a danger when we start going to this to, to get what I want to hear. And then it's like, see, I know I'm right because, you know, Anderson Cooper said such and such or, you know, whoever. Okay, so that's faith, righteous or righteousness, rightness. Now, these are kind of common definitions. There are other ways, and some of these terms overlap. It gets kind of messy, but it's important to understand what is righteous? What is righteousness? Rightness, to be in right relationship. And, uh, you know, I usually, a lot of people will say, righteousness is like a relational word. So think that. Righteousness. If I am righteous, I am in a right relationship. It's primarily, especially in the Bible, has to do with the relationship with God. So if I have been declared righteous, that actually is the definition for the next word, that means I am now in a right relationship with God. And then justification is to be declared righteous. That's more of a positional kind of word or an action kind of word. So to be justified means to be declared righteous. So the basic gospel is, first of all, I hear it. Somebody tells me. Week from Saturday. Somebody tells me the gospel. It enters my brain. I I comprehend it. Now, I'll just say it has to be miraculous. The Holy Spirit has to be at work, but we're going to just keep on going. So I hear the gospel, and I believe it. So now it's coming into, like, my heart, and it's like, I believe this. This is actually kind of my testimony. It's like, I'm not sure there's a heaven and a hell, but if there's a hell, that's probably where I'm going. And a lot of people come to faith that way. So it's like, I understand it. I kind of get a grip on it. I start to embrace it, and then for total transformation, then it has an effect. I put my faith, my belief, trust, confidence 
in Christ, in the gospel. And I am then justified before God. Without Christ, we're all guilty before the judge, right? Guilty, way guilty, (laughs) way more guilty than any of us would really want to think about. If you think of how much do you really love God and you're amazed by his grace, I think that's a direct correlation to your understanding of your sinfulness. I think Jesus thinks that too, because he did say, the one who loves much has been forgiven much. And that doesn't mean you have to be an ex-harlot to be forgiven all these horrible sins or, you know, a a hell's angel biker who, you know, dealt meth for 20 years or something. It just means you have to understand your sin, your wretchedness. And the best of the best are foul, right? We're lost. So you understand that. So then you, you hear the gospel, you respond to it, you put your faith in Christ, you are declared righteous, right? That means you've been justified. You are justified. Yeah, I am justified. Thank you, Lord. Because he has declared me righteous because he looks at what Christ did on the cross and he applies it to me. Because I worked really hard. Because I gave lots of money to the church. Because I never missed one day of watching some televangelist on TV. No, because I believe. Right? I believe. I believe it. I believe that represents the physical body of a carpenter from Nazareth who came from heaven. And I believe that represents the blood he shed for the perfect sacrifice to pay for my sin. Right? We believe it. And we're declared righteous. We are justified before God. And Satan, the accuser, can come and accuse and accuse and accuse and accuse. And some of those accusations might be well-founded in some ways. But at the end of the day, I'm justified. I belong to the king of kings. All right. We're on the second page. Um, I'd mentioned last week about Habakkuk 2.4. Did anybody read that? Yes. Okay, I'll count that. That's two. (laughs) Your hand was up. (laughs) Yes, you did? Yeah. It's, what'd you think? Well, I'm not saying I'm pronouncing it correctly, bro. <laughs> Habakkuk, Habakkuk, whatever it is. Did you like it? Was it interesting? Was it confusing? Yeah, I've usually got to read it many times to get it the same. Yeah. Well, in the last part, my favorite part is kind of like a song, hymn, poem thing. But yeah, the essence of it is the prophet is like, Lord, our country's messed up. Do something. He's looking around at his fellow Jews. And God says, I'm doing something. I'm bringing the Babylonians. You're toast. He's like, Lord, that's not what I meant. Can we have a do-over? They're worse than we are, right? This is Habakkuk, the book. And God says, I know they're worse than you are. And I got their number too. Believe me, when I'm done with them, they're out of there. And Habakkuk kind of parallels Job in a way. And at the end, he's like, you know what? Whether the trees blossom and the vines, you know, and there's wine and food and the harvest is good or there's nothing and no hope for anything better. You are good. You are God. Because he understood before the kingdom, the kingdom. He understood, you know what? The Babylonians can come and burn Anchorage to the ground tomorrow, but God is God. 
and I belong to him. And that's the whole, the whole thing of the kingdom. Okay, um, so the essence of Habakkuk there, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous, right? Or your version may even say the just shall live by faith. So the one who is in right relationship with God will live by faith. And right where he puts that in Habakkuk, he's talking about essentially the Babylonian king and the, and the proud person, kind of both, they're toast. You know, God can use them for a purpose, but there's no ultimate hope. But the just, it's just like this 20-carat diamond hidden away in a minor prophet. But the just, the righteous, shall live by his or her faith. I will live by my faith. Even if destruction comes, I will physically live, even if I die. Or I will live by my faith. I will live in accordance to my faith. The one who is just and righteous lives by faith. And then that's all through New Testament. It's all over the place. Okay. Now... Um, as we started chapter 6, I said it's basically like a triple vaccination against hypocrisy, the first um, 18 verses. It's a, it's a Jesus explaining how to avoid hypocrisy. Now, I know you guys have probably never struggled with that, right? No one here has really ever kind of been a hypocrite. I've kind of done it once or twice maybe. Well, that makes three now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> right? Hypocrisy. Because we all want people to think better of us. Don't we? I mean, that's kind of a normal thing. We want people to like us or to think better of us. Or if you're somehow kind of all turned around, you want people to fear you and not like you. you got to remember, I work in the jail a lot. Even that's like hypocrisy. Because then that person wants to seem worse than they really are. So, hypocrisy. And with people, with the Jews... If you know the Old Testament, was there hypocrisy? Never ended, right? Never ended. So this Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, in this new kingdom, with him as king, not Herod, not the Roman emperor, this is how it works. And so he says all these things. You know, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Six or seven times he does that. And then now he gets to chapter 6. And he, he speaks on three things. Three things. Giving to the poor, which we just touched on a little bit last week, right? Giving to the poor. Uh, Number two, prayer. That's the verse two, actually, through 15. The whole thing is on prayer. That, no, not two, I'm sorry. Five. Five through 15. Prayer. And then the last one down there in 16 through 18 is fasting. Fasting. Okay. What do all three of these have in common? And you haven't had time to read all this. And I have my blank filled in. So I will tell you. He starts off by saying, beware. Six one. First word. Beware. Jesus says, beware. Beware. Pay attention. Right? Beware. And what did he say? Beware of practicing your righteousness. That's the outward uh, evidence of being in right relationship with God. So you can think of it as 
alms, good deeds. There's a lot of different versions and translations. Beware of practicing your good deeds, we'll say, before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. So if you posture and you do things to impress people, I hope it was worth it because that's all you're going to get. So he says, beware. So, and then he says, giving to the poor. You know, don't create this big hullabaloo thing when you give to the poor. And he even says, do it in secret. Now, I think we talked last week, Jesus isn't saying all you're giving absolutely must be in secret. It's in relation to being seen by other people. So if, if you have that tendency, you want to look good and kind of be noticed, and some of us, that's more of a struggle, do more in secret. I would encourage you. Beware. Do it more in secret. Then the second one is the prayer. And he says, uh, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. That's always like the root of that hypocrisy, being seen by others. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, it doesn't mean you have to do all your praying in secret. Right? I'm hoping we're all getting that. It does mean possibly some of the most important prayer you may do may be just you. Because I've learned... If I'm by myself and I'm praying, it's just me and him, right? It's just me and him. Who am I going to impress? It's just me and the Lord. You know, it's easy with other people around then to start using bigger words and, you know, posturing and do all this kind of stuff. And sometimes that's intentional and sometimes it's just kind of pressure because, you know, whenever we're around other people, we kind of feel the pressure to conform, right? I mean, if I went from here to an Assembly of God church, they would pray differently. I remember the first time we went to Mexico and we hung out with a bunch of Mexican, very poor people in San Luis, Baja. And when they prayed, I don't know if they were Pentecostals or not, but up here they'd be Pentecostals. They all prayed at the same time. They raised their hand and it was loud. And I'm like, whoa. So if I'm going to hang out with them, I kind of need to learn how they pray. If you're going to go to Benin, you need to learn how things are in Benin. So some of that is just, this is how we do it, right? We have things we do at ABF. This is how we do it. Not always necessarily the best or the correct. It's just how we do it. We, we can't have like a free-for-all or something. You know, it keeps order but, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about getting together at Spencer's house on Friday for a prayer meeting, you know, that you shouldn't do that. He's saying you shouldn't do that if you're going to go there because you want to impress Spencer. Then you shouldn't do that. Or at least you should confess that and ask Spencer to pray for you that you would be more humble. That'd be even better. Um, okay. So, what do they have in com- all in common? They all come with a warning. Beware. The second one, Jesus assumes these three things will be occurring. He just assumes it. He doesn't say, you know, if you're going to give to the poor, or if you're going to pray, or if you're going to fast. He says when. So he's assuming these are things that people in the kingdom 
are going to be doing. And I don't really see any one of those that we shouldn't be doing. Right? Now, maybe Jewish culture, maybe they were more bigger on fasting or something. I think I kind of spilled the beans about me and fasting last week. Right? But giving to the poor, that's a biblical thing. Giving to the poor. Prayer is a totally, it's the lifeblood of a believer. If I'm in his kingdom, I need to be talking to the king throughout the day. And I need to be aware that I'm in the kingdom. That I'm not in Anchorage or in Alaska or in the jail or doing these things. First, foremost, overarching it all, I'm in the kingdom. So if I go to Fred Meyer and I'm just about to get the, that awesome thing that's on sale, and there's one left, and this lady's looking at it. If I'm in the kingdom, I have to be, did you want this, ma'am? And, you know, kind of like, wow. And, and please, Lord, have her say no. She wanted the other thing. But, right, if I see my identity in the kingdom, that's far more important than me getting that thing for half off. And then I have to face my wife later when I get home. <laughs> she knows I'm just messing around. Just messing around. Okay. Um, so he assumes these things will be occurring. And the third one, the father sees in secret and rewards. Live your life knowing that God the Father sees, even in your ear to your thoughts, even into your heart, because he does. So live your life knowing that he sees in secret. That's one of the devil's most lies. No one will know, right? I think we probably have all heard that. I know men, we hear it all the time. (laughs) Nobody will know. Who will know? Who is it going to hurt? Well, like I said, I work in the jail. There's at least 900 people there right now who believe that lie to some degree, one way or another. So live your life knowing God sees in secret and he rewards. Now, we don't have time to get into that and all that. But that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? God rewards. He will reward somehow, some way, faithfulness. And that might be a subject better for the uh, laser Bible teacher guy, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, but, but all I know right here is he's going to do it. He does it. So, that's it. Okay. So, application. Most important part of all this. Otherwise, I've just either bored you or entertained you for half an hour or so. This is where transformation has to happen. Okay? Transformation. Application. Uh, I mentioned before that I'm real big on the head, heart, hands kind of analogy or the no, be, do. Um, so um, you could pop up the first one of those if you would. Oh, it totally disappeared, didn't it? Okay, so there's supposed to be three graphics. The top one, which looks blank, is a head, which you'll see in just a moment. So it's head, heart, hands. All three of those are totally important for us to be transformed by God in the gospel. So the head is what we know. The heart is who I am, what I'm becoming, the inner me. And then the hands are the outer evidence of all of that. 
So, you know, when I was given that example earlier, it's like, you know, my head, it's what I know. Without someone telling me the truth out of Romans, how will they know? If they do not hear, how will they hear? If they're not told, how will they be told if someone isn't sent? Right? That's one of the great missionary passages. Nobody will know. God doesn't, like, you know, magically transmit the gospel into people's heads. Right? Think about how you came, the biggest part of how you came to faith in Christ. Somebody tell me. Somebody explained it? Okay. Somebody else. There can be kind of different ways. Some people get it like through media, right? Yeah, heard it on the radio. Heard it on the radio. Yeah. yeah. Lori was uh, preaching and my stepmother and I arrived at work and she went up and I finished listening to the radio program and wow. Are you serious? That is so awesome. Thank you, Lord. That is awesome. Yeah. I think I've I've told a lot of you the biggest part for me, it's hard to say one particular time, but the, probably the biggest part is I was reading actually these passages. But it starts here, right? Eyeballs, brain, you read it. Starts here, what you know. Okay, so the first H, what you know, biblical input of truth. Then the second one is the heart, and it's a process. The second one is the heart, what I am, or what I am becoming, or who I am. And it's an inner transformation. Plenty of people hear and it doesn't get there, right? Parable of the sower. Great example. A lot of people get it up here and it never gets here. Jesus said you must be born again. Nicodemus heard him say that, but if it didn't come down here and change him, which I think it did, but whatever. Okay, and then the last age is hands. It's outer service and works. It's what I do. So, in the last moments, I want to look at this. If you miss one of the three, you got a problem. So the, the one we have projected right now, no head. Got a heart and hands. Good intentions done in ignorance. And I picked a verse out of Acts there, 317, where it's probably Peter is saying, you know, what you guys did in ignorance, Right? They crucified the Lord Jesus, and at least some of them did it in ignorance. They had the heart, the intentions. The Apostle Paul had the heart and the intentions. He had the works and the activity, and he's running around getting all these Christians because he didn't get that. And so Jesus appeared to him. Okay, the second one. Okay, so now you got the head, you have the understanding, and you got the heart. It's like it comes in here. Okay, oh, that's so meaningful. Thank you, Greg. That sermon was just so awesome. And the game's on, so I got to go. And you don't ever think of it again. Well, in James it says, faith without works is dead. That's why James said, you show me your faith worked out where we can all see it. Show me. Not saved by works, but works is an evidence of it. So if you don't have the hands, if you're not doing anything, if you come to church week after week after week and nothing changes, brothers, sisters, it's time to uh, check that. And the last one? Okay, the head, you got it. The hands, you got it. There's no heart. And that's pretty much what Jesus is talking about in all of this. It's hypocrisy. 
It's hypocrisy because you can think uh, Moses taught do not commit adultery. In your hands, I don't commit adultery. And in your heart, you're like, oh, man, that woman. Ooh, 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 ooh. And Jesus is like, you're committing adultery. Just because you're not physically acting it out, you're just as guilty. And that was the whole thing with the scribes and the Pharisees. It's like, whoa, no, we believe the right thing, and we do the right thing. And he's like, yeah, but your heart's like a mausoleum full of skeletons, right? And I would say works salvation is the same thing. It's, and evangelical Christians are as much at risk of that as anybody else. Pretty much every religion is right there, I think where you tell people a certain amount of information and then they have to do things, right? And that's not the gospel. The gospel is you tell people the truth and God and the Holy Spirit working with that person creates new life. They're born again. They're regenerated. And then they do things. So that's a dangerous one. There's Christians right there. It's like, oh, no, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. And if you know somebody like that, just say, okay, stop for a minute. You got to be. Worry about do in a little while. But be. Be amazed that God sent his son. Be amazed that he's taken you from the dominion of darkness, or Benin, or Benin, and put you in the kingdom of the king. Be amazed by that. Be transformed by that. Think on your sin and his grace. And you will love God. You will love him. Because you'll be like, God, I'm so unworthy. And you just pick me. You, if I was you, I wouldn't have picked me. I would have picked someone better, somebody different. Someone who had all their fingers or more hair. Or, you know, I would have picked someone else. But he picked me. I mean, how do you not love him? If you, if you get that. Okay. Last week's final question was, what have I been doing for the wrong reason? I hope you thought about that. I hope you kind of prayerfully worked through that. Because that was your opportunity for transformation. It's like, okay, there may be something you've been doing for the wrong reason. Don't do that. Um, in... Um, in specifically in relation to prayer, I wanted to share this. When I examine my prayer life, I find your how you pray, how we pray as a church, I think is a good reflection of our priorities, what's important. And I know there's a lot of us that are older. We're dealing with a lot of health issues. I mean, you know, Deborah's over there ice packing her, her knee or fake knee, whichever it is, I guess. Um, you know, Kim's over there in a sling. Chuck's hanging on until God calls him home. And then whenever that happens, bro, we'll see you later. <laughs> right? So I, I understand that with a lot of older people, health and all those things are an issue. But really think about what we're praying about. Right now, Kia's at another church. And she's talking, I believe, about perspectives. But you realize we have like 500 Afghan refugees on the way? To Anchorage? Now, if you're an American, you could be like, I'm so sick of that. There's probably Taliban. I bet half of them are carrying grenades. But if you're in the kingdom, you may be going like, okay, baby, let me at them. 
500 people God has brought here that are in a situation of need and we can impact with the gospel. That's how kingdom thinking works. It's like, well, if they blow me up, they blow me up. Big deal. If I perish, I perish. I'm serving the king. And I think he is going to be trying to get us a little bit involved. I don't know the specifics. Do you know, Tom? Do you want to? Yeah, there's going to be a program. I think there's something right now. Yeah. Okay. So, so examine our prayer life. Examine your own prayer life. Are you always asking for God to do things for you? I'm not saying that's bad. But at least make it a one-to-one thing. Ask him to do things for him. Ask him to use you tomorrow, give you an opportunity to impact the kingdom in some way and be ready because he probably will. And it might be giving the lady the last thing off the shelf. Or it might be a heart-to-heart talk saying, Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sins. You don't have to walk around in guilt the rest of your life. Okay, the last one is yours. I can improve my kingdom commitment by whatever. Okay? Okay. You don't even have to fill that in now. Take it home. Pray about it. One thing I know, every single person, he wants to step up our commitment to his kingdom and making him known while we are here. So that's our prayer, Lord. I ask that you do that for us. Thank you for this time. Lord Jesus, be at work. Be at work in each of our hearts. Rearrange our values. Transform us. May the truth of your word enter our head and transform our hearts and motivate us into action. That you would be glorified, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Thank you for new friends, old friends, just everybody that's here. God, may your blessing be very apparent in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.